How many of you know Kid President? You ever? All right. Kid President's an international superstar now. He, he's a kid from around Memphis, which is kind of interesting, that has um, a disease where his bones break real easily. And he and his dad started making these videos and it's kind of spread. But he brings up something really important, and that is that our words matter, right? What we say, how we say it, what we do with our words matter. And he gave several illustrations there that were good and appropriate and things that you might try out this week during Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving is an interesting time. It's that time when, in fact, studies kind of show that more people travel for Thanksgiving in America than any other holiday, more than Christmas, um, more than any other holiday of the year, people travel for Thanksgiving, which means more people are together with their families at Thanksgiving than any other time of the year on that specific day or that specific weekend. And sometimes being with our families can bring up. Yeah, they can bring that up, right? And practicing those kind of thoughts and sayings can be more difficult in that setting than in other settings. And today, what I want to talk about is this, and it's kind of a weird uh, sermon on Thanksgiving. All right. In fact, I told the first service that some of you are going to come and say, I came to a Thanksgiving service and a Father's Day sermon broke out. All right. Because we're going to be in Ephesians chapter six. We're going to finish this book over the next two weeks. And Ephesians chapter six, verse one and following, it talks about what it means to live in a family. Now, now here's what I think is interesting about words that we use. Oftentimes. We use words based on who we think we are. So, for instance, someone who is um, confident often uses their words to try to instill confidence in other people. Someone who is less than confident in themselves, insecure, often use their words to point out insecurities in other people. Oftentimes, if you hear what people are saying, if you really listen, especially in critical moments or in people that they care about, what you can see is a glimpse into who they are as much as what they're saying. And in the book of Ephesians, we have spent this entire few months, few weeks, looking at this understanding of who we are and how that translates into how we act and what we say, specifically around people that matter. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 He's going to start, you know, last week, if you weren't here last week, you missed the discussion for husbands and wives. But last week he said, this is what husbands and wives ought to look like. This is what it ought to look like in a marriage relationship, two people that are committed to the Lord and how they ought to behave with one another. Today he's going to say, now this is what the family looks like. And he starts out in chapter six, verse one with the word children. Now, let me ask you a quick question. All right. What does the word children mean? It's not a trick question, all right? It means children, right? How old would you say children are, okay? I'm not, act, I'm not asking emotional age. I'm talking about actual age. How old do you think, what qualifies as a child, okay? Younger than you. Okay, all right? Anybody else? 18 and under, okay? 
Some of you say when they turn 18, out the house you go, right? Some of you wish that happened like 10 years ago, right? All right, let me tell you what the biblical understanding of children is here. The biblical understanding of children here is those that are still under the care of their parents. What I mean by that is not that you are 32 years old and out of college and just don't have a job, so you're living in the basement, okay? What I mean by that is generally in our society, that is someone that is anywhere from 22, 2018 and younger, okay? What it does not mean is some of you will go home to your parents' house this weekend and you're 50 years old with two kids that are in high school and your mom, listen, you're my child. You have to, that's not what it's talking about, okay? It's talking about those that are still under the care. And that's important because of the next word, right? The first word is children. What's the next word? Obey. That's not a very popular word in our society, but... It's there. What does obey mean? That means obey, right? It means to do. It means to whatever happens, you do. So, so here's what I'm doing, all right? So for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk to those of you that are still under the care of your parents, all right? And the youth starts squirming, all right? Here's the good thing for you. This is about four minutes, and the rest of the sermon is about 20 minutes for your parents, all right? So here's what it says. It says obey. What does obey mean? It means, yeah. Allie, take some notes, all right? Let's go. I'm just, I'm, I'm translating Jeff for you. That wasn't me. That was Jeff, all right? Okay. All right. So what does obey mean, all right? What does it mean? It means to do, all right? Now, here's what it says. I want to tell you this. It does not mean that you have to obey them because there is anything innate in them that makes them worthy of being obeyed. What that means is that doesn't mean they're so good that you have to obey them. But what it says in the scripture is you obey them because God has placed you under their care and it is your responsibility to obey. Doesn't doesn't say obey if you like it. Doesn't say obey only when you think it's right. It says obey. Now, here's the, the catch there. It says, children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. That means obey them as if you're obeying the Lord. And to obey them when they ask you to do things that are in line with what God would want you to do. Now, here's the cool thing. At the end, it gives you a promise, right? It says, and honor your parents. Where is that from? Where is honor your mother and father from? It's Ten Commandments, right? It says, this is the first commandment with what? With a promise and what's the promise long life good life here's the reality kids that obey their parents as unto the lord generally live healthier and better than those that don't and those of us that are older can look back on our high school days on our college days and we can realize that that's true right those parents those kids that lived according to what their parents said and did what they said had a better life all right I'm done with y'all, all right? Okay, that wasn't too bad, was it? All right, now let's move on to everybody else, all right? So it says, children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. Honor your mother and father, for this is the first command with a promise. And then it says, what is the next thing it says? Fathers, all right? So, by the way, I, what I'm about to say doesn't mean just because it says fathers doesn't mean that mothers can go, see, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have to worry about it, okay? 
That doesn't mean you can drive your kids to anger and your husband just can't, all right? It says husbands, now some, some translations say the phrase, don't exasperate your children. And modern translations realize that none of us know what exasperate means. And so it says, husbands or dads, don't drive your kids to anger, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Here's the instruction, basically. Let me tell you what it is, and then we'll kind of break it down for a minute. The basic instruction is for dads to parent, to actually do the work of being a parent. Now, that's more important today than it has ever been for dads because more dads aren't doing this than have ever not done it. The the average, here, here's some statistics for you. People under the age of, of 30 having children, over half of them are being born to mothers where the dad and her are not in a marriage relationship. Over 40% of children under the age of 18 will go to bed tonight in a house where their dad is not living, their biological dad is not living. As a society, we have this problem, we talked about this a little bit last week, with men in general not knowing who they are or what they're supposed to do. And it says in the scripture that we are to be the responsible ones, the parenting ones. We are to be, as we talk about, the head of the household. And that doesn't mean that we have a better position or a higher position. It just means it's our responsibility. And for so many of us, we have just said, forget it. And so we end up with two extremes. We, we end up with one extreme that says, well, I don't even know what masculinity is. And so I'm just going to run from that and just kind of be my own man and express myself and not worry about the traditional masculinity. And then we have the other side of the argument that has this souped up hyper masculinity where I have to do everything that seems to be manly at all. And I have this machoism. And somewhere in the middle is biblical manhood. Men's that... Fight for what is right. Men that believe in what God has called us to believe. Men that stand up for truth, but also are tender and caring with their spouses and their children. That love them and protect them. That's a strong friend and a neighbor. And he says in there really two things. First of all, he says, don't exasperate your children, don't drive them to anger, and then instruct them in the Lord. And so dads, moms, I want to give you some, some ways just that is kind of prevalent in our culture as we kind of break that down. Let me tell you, I I had intended to go from through Ephesians 6 all the way through verse 9, but we're not going to get there, all right? Because I believe it's important to kind of hang here for a little bit. And this is what I want you to do. So, So if you're married here and you have kids, I want you to think as a family, is this the way our house operates, both negatively and positively? Is this the way it operates? If if you're not married here and you're, you're thinking, what kind of man do I want to marry? What kind of, of husband do I want to have? What kind of dad do I want to have for my children? What kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of relationship does it look like? Because one of the things that is evident throughout Scripture is that in order to be effective as a family and as a parent, you have to agree with one another on how to do that. Right? I mean, I'm not saying that it hasn't been done with people not agreeing. I'm just saying it's not very fun. You have to agree. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll talk with couples and they 
um, they're getting ready to get married, and I'll say, well, how do you know this is the person? How do you know it's going to work or whatever? And, and it's almost like when it comes to this, the religious part of it, when it comes to the spiritual part of it, they just look for the lowest common denominator. Well, we both grew up in church, so we have that as a foundation. Or we both believe Jesus is, is, is the Son of God. That's, that's all that matters, right? We've both been baptized. No, that's not all that matters. Listen, if you want a healthy, successful, thriving marriage and relationship and parenting skills, you have to believe and be on a team together, believing the same kind of things about what it means to be the head of the house and what it means to be in a marriage relationship, what it means to parent, what it means to work together, what it means to see your children grow. We're not trying to just grow people that are good moral people. We're trying to instill in them the instruction of the Lord that they might grow up and be people that are passionately devoted to Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's a difference in just being a good boy and being a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. So here are some things. If you're a parent now or if you're thinking about being a parent, some ways, we'll start with ways you could exasperate your children. All right? Number one is unreasonableness. That's a big word, right? That means expecting things of them they are incapable of doing. Do you know that sometimes I get mad at my kids and the primary reason I'm mad at my kids is because they are acting their age. Right? Instead of, you know, I think, well, why? Yeah, I look at them and they're, they're you know, I, I have, I mean, most of y'all know this, I have 10-year-old, 7-year-old, 3-year-old, 1-year-old. It's like every two or three years just another Larson shows up at the house, all right? We, we, we're perfectly fine with our four, all right? And so... Um, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old boy, okay? 10-year-old and 7-year-old boys have lots of really good qualities. Cleaning up after themselves is not one of them. To be honest, it's not the best quality of a 37-year-old male either. But a 10-year-old boy, 7-year-old boy, and so sometimes I'll go down and, you know, we've had family cleaning afternoon that's turned into night, that's turned into weekend or whatever. And we've cleaned up and everything looks great. It's like, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that floor that way. That is awesome. And then I'll go upstairs and we'll get some stuff together and I'll hear something. I'll go back downstairs. Hey, boys, what's going on? What in the world happened? Anybody ever been there? Okay. I mean, like Lego volcano has exploded. We're just playing with Legos. This way. But there are like 18 spots where Legos are everywhere. I need you to pick it all up again. And I get mad at them, but that's unreasonable for their age. You know where I see this a lot is on sports teams with my kids. Not necessarily me, although that happens sometimes, but like, shouldn't they be doing this by now? Shouldn't they be doing that by now? Or, or you hear it in school discussions, should my child be doing this by now? No, 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 they're, they're seven. They're five. They're a teenager. Don't be unreasonable. That's one way you can drive your kids to anger. Here's another way. Fault finding. Some of us are really good at that. You know what I mean, right? Finding all the little problems that are there, that are issues that are there. Finding the things that are wrong with this and that. And we look at a project and the first thing we see is the thing that's just not quite right. Or we see a discussion of what happened and the first thing we zero in on is just not what was all the way there. And we, we point that out over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. When I was growing up, my grandmother used to tell me she didn't want me to get the big head. 
Anybody ever heard that? I heard somebody one time talking about moms and dads and moms saying, listen, I, I'm just, I'm just want, I don't want to get the big head. I don't want to get overconfident. And this, this person said, I just looked at her and I said, they're not going to get the big head from you. I mean, you're the one that's supposed to encourage them. You're supposed to be their supporter. Well, I'm just trying to toughen them up. Hey, listen, the world's going to toughen them up. You don't have to worry about that. You're to be their supporter. You're to be the one in the corner. You're not to be the one coming at them from across the ring. You're the one that's supposed to be saying, listen, I, I believe in you. You're, you're good. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't moments that you point out things that they could improve or be better at. or You don't give instruction. You don't encourage in ways that say, could you please try this a little differently? But you, if you are the one that is constantly finding fault with them... You are the one that is closest to them, the one with the strongest voice, especially dads. Your words weigh about 10 times more than any other person's words in their lives. Yesterday, or actually, this was Friday, Friday evening. We were all kind of in the living room and we were kind of sitting around. And I'd put my feet up on the coffee table. And Maddie was just playing and she decided to climb up on the coffee table. And, and some of you... Some of you People, I mean, Maddie doesn't weigh very much. She's, she's not hard to carry or anything. But she got sat on my legs in just that way that extreme pain started shooting through my legs. Right? And I was just like, Maddie, you got to, you, you, Maddie, you need to get off. And she's just like, oh, this is funny, Dave. No, this is not funny, baby. You got to get off. I mean, like, if you want me to walk for the rest of my life, you got to get off. It's hurting. And I, and I finally just said, Maddie, you need to get off. And she kind of got off and said, I'm sorry, babe. And I gave her a hug and everything was all right. I thought. I put her to bed that night and she looked up. She said, Daddy, I'm so sorry I got on your legs. I know you were mad at me and I didn't want you to be mad at me. I was like, baby, I'm (laughs) just crushed me. Right. And I remember thinking about this particular thing. How many times have I said, I'm not meaning a big deal, but it weighs so heavy on them. Finding fault in stuff is easy to do. I I like actually what Kid President said at the end of that thing, that if you're not finding something good to say, you're not trying hard enough. Fault finding. Here's another one. Neglect. Not being there emotionally, physically. Not being there in person. Working too long. Coming home and getting in the recliner and turning on the TV or getting on the internet or locking yourself in the room or going to the garage and working on projects, not being there with your kids, not going to their games, not going to their programs, not having important moments with them when they're trying to make it through their life. Now, neglect can, can on the opposite side of that, be this idea of abuse. Actual verbal abuse, more than just fault-finding, attacking who they are as a person, physically or emotionally. And constantly showing them this abusive personality or action. Here's one that's in a different line, but being no fun. It, rolling in the floor with your kids is not below you. Dads, being the one that is funny, being the one that's um, engaging and you know, wearing silly hats and singing songs and telling jokes and watching funny videos. Be fun. 
Maddie paid me, I told you, the, the mad thing. She told me one of the biggest compliments I've had over the last couple of weeks just at random. She'll say, Daddy, you are so funny. I was like, I know it, baby. Thank you. I'm glad somebody gets my humor. Forget it's a three-year-old girl. That's all right. But listen, I cannot sing. I do not have a good singing voice. But my kids hear me sing a lot because we sing silly songs. We sing funny songs. At the table sometimes we'll just... I mean, I mean some, you do not want to be at my house. It is, it is because to them it's funny. And I'm going to be a dad that has fun with my kids. And kids need that. In fact, there are psychological studies that say one of the most important factors that dads bring to a parenting relationship is tickling and wrestling. Just having fun with the kids. And if you are emotionally detached where you're not doing that, you could drive your kids to a life of boredom or seeking fun in unhealthy ways. Another way is not being generous. Now, in... The, the world calls people that are not very generous cheap. In, in Christian terms, we use better terms. We call them frugal, spendthrift. But you need to be generous with your kids. Be generous with what you have with them. Be generous towards other people with what you have. Listen, part of the unreasonableness is expecting them to earn everything they get. Now, I know there's a lesson to be taught about earning your way, but aren't you glad our Heavenly Father was generous and not a cheapskate? Right? Now, we try to teach this to our kids all the time. It's not easy. You know why? Because kids are like us. They're selfish. We went to uh, get some Operation Christmas Child stuff yesterday. Then we went to that um, exquisite shop called Deals. Have you ever been to Deals? Right, We went to deals and we were looking for some filler stuff for our boxes and we found what Maddie called the Baracas. They were princess Baracas. You know what Baracas are? They're Moroccas, right, but she's, to her they're Baracas and so that's what they are in our house, all right? And we, we got them down. Oh, this will be great for our girl. Let's put them in her basket. And she grabbed them and said, no, those are mine. But what if we gave one to her? The girl, I don't know the girl. I know that, but we're trying to... She needs this. And we, got, we, got, we were bargaining and bartering. She was offering things from her house and her stuff. And we, we said, listen, and we put it in the box last night. And there were, there, I mean, the, there were some tears. But, but, but daddy, listen. I mean, the truth is, we're probably going to deals tomorrow to get the Baracas, all right? <laughs> we can't tell her that, but a dollar is what they were, all right? But the lesson involved is we're giving this away. We want to be generous. But it doesn't look good if you're generous to everybody else but them. Be generous to your kids. And here's the last one. A way you can drive them to anger. Is not is have no repentance. How many of you mess up occasionally as a parent? Yeah. Or as an adult or as a human being? We do. And if we somehow teach our kids that repentance isn't a necessary part of life, we're teaching our kids that we somehow are above repentance and the truth is none of us are. Which means sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes our voices raise when they shouldn't raise. Sometimes our accusations sting when they are incorrect. Sometimes we make mistakes and it is important to let kids know, I'm sorry, I messed up, I shouldn't have done that. I read this week about a 
a dad who's in his mid-50s, and he's got kids that are in their late 20s and early 30s. He said, the Lord just convicted me all of a sudden that I was one of those fault finders. And everywhere I looked, I kept criticizing and complaining and talking about what they did wrong. Even as adults, we'd gather together on holidays, and they would talk about their job. And I'd say, well, why haven't you done this? Or why aren't you here yet? Or why haven't you finished school yet? Or what are you going to do with that degree? He said, I just realized that I had been wrong. So I repented before the Lord, but then I called each of my kids and said, I'm sorry. So it was one of the toughest phone calls I've ever had to make, but one of the most important. Don't drive your kids to anger, but bring them up in the way of the Lord. Well, what does that look like? Three simple steps to think about as you're thinking about modeling for them. First of all, practice godliness. Live like you're supposed to live. Study God's word. Put into practice what you know. Live like Ephesians talks about, a life worthy of the calling, where we realize who we are in Christ, and as a result, we begin to live like it. That we display before them on a regular basis what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a mother before the Lord. That we regularly walk before them as God calls us to walk. We show them what it means to be a believer, a follower, a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we instruct in the Lord. Scripture makes it very clear that the primary biblical teacher for your kids is you. The person that ought to be giving them the biblical understanding is you. Now, what does that mean? That means you've got to know biblical stuff. That doesn't mean you have to be a scholar. doesn't mean you have to go to seminary. doesn't mean you've got to have all the these and thous worked out and the Greek and the Hebrew and the functions and the, all that. But it means that you're constantly reading God's Word, investigating God's Word, and then passing it on to your kids. It also means that you help them to understand what it means to live a biblical worldview in a world that is decidedly unbiblical. My kids watch all the shows. Well, not all the shows that kids watch, but we watch Disney Channel and the terrible worldviews that are on there where a child's dog's going to save the world, right? Where princesses and sorcerers and everybody else are having a good time and a party. And we sit and we talk to our kids about this stuff, even Maddie. We'll sit down. Let's talk about this. Now, we don't make it theological school, but we have conversations about what it means to live according to God's Word in a world that is obviously not living according to God's Word. And be involved with your kids. Love on them. Have fun with them. Be emotionally and physically there for them. So here's my challenge. It's Thanksgiving week which means Thanksgiving is Thursday. And for many of us, it means travel or it means family coming in or a combination of the two. It may mean turkey and dressing for like eight days in a row. All right. Amen. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Around the table this week, here's what I want you to do. All right. I want everybody to listen to this. I want to challenge you, you, not the rest of your family that's not here, but you. If your whole family's here, then it's a good challenge for you. This year at Thanksgiving, that entire day to have no criticism at all come out of your mouth. All right? 
Some of you said, that ain't going to happen. All right. Well, you got anything else for us? Can we move to something else? No criticism at all. Well, but you don't know my mom. No, maybe not. I'm not asking. I'm not, your mom's not here. I'm not telling you that, all right? I'm saying for you, for your perspective, okay? No criticism. Give positive words, encouraging stuff. Because sometimes it's easy to slip into the old things of who's what and the disappointments here and what's happening there. Just be there and for one day, one day, see how it changes when you live according to what we talked about today. No criticism, encouragement, saying nice things, encouraging one another in the Lord, instructing, talking about stuff. One day. Now, for you, you say, good, my family doesn't get together until Saturday. I'm good. No, that means that for you, all right? So I know some of you are thinking through the loopholes in your head, all right? Because words matter. And I would guess that most of us want to be the people that God has called us to be, the parents, the husbands, the wives, the children that God's called us to be. So I'm asking you to put it into practice this Thanksgiving. Let's pray.